Amen. Thank you guys for leading us this morning very much. Uh, Luke chapter 8 in your scriptures. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be hanging this morning. Luke chapter 8. One of my favorite things thus far about Stonegate has been kind of the end process of our membership class. Uh, The last thing you do before you become a member here is we do um, just a one-on-one interview. Um, where Laura and I, or, or just me, or whoever, we get to sit down and we just get to hear the story of how God has worked in your life. We get to hear the story of where you grew up, how God has kind of been at work, um, when you got saved. Like, oh, we just get to hear the picture of, of that story. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing to get, just to get to hear um, God has done this. God has, has worked in these ways. So th- this is kind of my snapshot of that. Um, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. And uh, yeah, I mean, fun for us was literally grass growing. I mean, that, that was a good day for us. I always laugh at people in, in kind of the Metroplex area when they complain that there's nothing to do. I'm like, you don't even know what nothing, okay. And so grew up in a small town in Oklahoma and I, I've got great parents, so fortunate um, for the upbringing that, that I had. They, they trained me to know the Lord. And so when, when church was, was open, we were going to be there. It was a priority to my dad and my mom. Um, I saw great pictures of what it meant to be a godly man, a godly woman, um, a godly husband, a, a godly wife, a, a godly daddy, a godly mom. I got to see good pictures of all that. So very, very thankful. Um, when I'm in the seventh grade, <clears throat> I'm sitting kind of over on the right side of a sanctuary. And this is kind of in the, the, the old revivals, you know, where it's a week-long event. I guess one of those. So it's the Wednesday night of the week-long revival. And um, the guy gives a clear enough gospel where me as a seventh grader, I I could clearly understand it. And I knew this. I didn't know a lot, but I knew that I wanted what what he was talking about. Um, I I had a clear enough understanding of this is sin, this is me, and I am under the judgment of God and thank the Lord for the cross. And so uh, on that moment, God saved me. Now that's as a seventh grader in, in small town America, Oklahoma, And then this is what happened. I think it's just really interesting. Um, especially when I look back on it. Here's what's instantly started, how, how this thing started playing it out. Is, as I started moving forward, let's just say the next five years after that, it, it became painfully obvious that I had no idea what I was doing, you know? Like I had grabbed onto the gospel and, and I was stuck. I, I was having a very difficult time figuring out what it meant to live well for Jesus. And this is what instantly went down. Got saved, and in a matter of months, um, I had an alternative life going on. Where I had the church thing going. I mean, I was good friends with the youth pastor. I mean, we, we were slapping high fives. I mean, we, we were good friends. He loved me, I loved him. Um, I was at church. If you would have just been a casual observer, you would have thought he's an integral part of church. So I had the lingo down. I knew when to stand, when not to. What to say to kind of skate by and what not to say to not skate by. I mean, I knew all of those things. And, and he, here's what instantly happened. I've got this life outside of that thing going on. I've got this whole private life happening that would make a public mockery of everything that I, I would profess to believe. Who I was privately, it, it completely sealed my mouth publicly. Okay, now, now this is the interesting thing when I look back on that. Is I look back in, in the circle of people that God had around me in, in this little town, in this church, and I didn't know people who weren't like me. I mean, I didn't know people who didn't have those two things going on. I didn't know people who, who actually were living like their private life 
was a loud proclamation of this thing. I, I didn't know those people. And I just think it's real interesting. I, and I, I'd say all that to just say we need to take real stock about where our hearts are. I mean, we, we need to be really careful in this room because we live in the most dangerous place for a believer to live. We say this all the time. The most dangerous place is in the center of Bible Belt America. And that's where you find yourself. If you live here, that is what you live in. Okay, so, so what is it? Bible Belt America, that version of Christianity is the most toxic thing to your soul. Okay, so maybe I can say it this way. It is much more dangerous than, than what you saw on the screen. It's much more dangerous than any club that you could get hit with. It's much more dangerous than any gun somebody could pull on you. The, the culture that, that you live in is much more dangerous. And here's why. Because the culture that we live in publicly embraces Jesus. We just don't follow him. We publicly embrace the place of the church. We, we just don't live the cross. Okay, so, so here's what I'm saying. If we are not really, really careful, you are going to wake up and you are going to be sucked into that. That is going to be you. If you don't constantly have the, like your hands on the rope pulling in the other direction, you're, you're going to be sucked into it. You are going to be a part of, we embrace church. We embrace religious activities. We even embrace the Bible. We just don't follow Jesus. Okay, and can I just tell you that that is much more dangerous than you than any sort of persecution that you'll ever face? But that's a much more dangerous category. That's a much more dangerous thing to have to deal with. Okay, now, all that leads into, to, I guess just a hope that I have for you and a prayer that I have for this place is, is that we would not place all of our hope in a church we would not just give church a position but we would be people who pursue jesus that we would not be people who just have a respect for religious things but we would be people who are running after jesus that we would be that okay so i think what's about to happen in luke chapter 8 is jesus is about to give us one of the reasons that people live like we do in bible belt america and here's one of the reasons is because we hear sermons all the time that are pretty good biblical sermons. And yet we hear them and we don't hear them. I mean, they kind of rattle the inside of our, our ears. Like we, we, we hear the, the, the syllables and we hear the, the words, but we don't hear them in our heart. Like we hear these good sermons, but here's the truth for most people in Bible Belt world. We walk straight into a place like this and we walk straight out, never allowing the weight of what we've heard to ever impact our life. Never allowing it to impact us. And so Jesus is looking upon a crowd and he is about to unfold how people hear. Okay, let me, maybe I can say it this way this morning. You walking in here this morning is one of the most dangerous moves you could make. This is a dangerous place to be because you're going to walk out of here and here's what's going to happen. Either you are going to be more tender to Jesus or you're going to leave more, like, harder. You're going to leave with a bigger callus. 
And so Jesus is going to look upon a crowd of people and he's going to try to free them of this. He's going to try to expose this fact that it's not about just listening to syllables. It is about allowing the weight of biblical truth, about allowing the gospel to impact your life and responding to it appropriately. Okay, that's what he's about to unfold. So here we go. Luke chapter 8. Starting in verse 4. And God, I pray that Jesus might just spare us from a wasted life in this room. Oh, that he would do that for us. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great uh, crowd was gathering, and, and people from, a town, uh, from town after town came to him. So you've got kind of this rock star mentality that has just happened here. You've got Jesus who is going to be very popular at this point in his ministry. I mean, if he would have come to Dallas at this point in his ministry, we would be all in the AAC right now. That's where we, we wouldn't be in the conference center. That's where we would be. I mean, he is at the height of popularity here. It's going to say that the great crowds gathering from towns and villages are all coming to him. And then he's going to say this, that he, he said this in a parable. So he's about to speak to them in a parable. A parable is a story that illustrates truth, right? So it's a familiar story that would have a deeper reality to it. So he's about to talk in a parable. Verse 5, he's about to unpack this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. You might circle that word path, by the way. Verse 6, and some fell on the rock. You might circle that word. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, no root. Verse 7, and some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and it choked it. You might circle the word thorns. It grew up in the midst of these thorns and, and the thorns choked it. And some fell into the good soil. You might circle that word, good soil, and grew up and yielded a hundredfold. Mark's in to say six, uh, some 30, some 60, some 100. And then he's going to end with this. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. So this is what he's saying. Um, you need to pay attention to what I just said here. You need to make sure that it's doing more than just kind of rattling the mechanics in your ear. You need to make sure that your heart is grabbing the reality behind the picture. Okay, so, so here, here's the idea. This story is not about a farmer. This story is not about a guy scattering seed around. This story is not about some of the seed kind of fell on some of the rocks and it kind of had a hard time growing. Some are in the thorns. It kind of had a difficult time. Some fell over here and boy, the crop was just... It's not about agriculture. It is about our heart and our response to the gospel. That's what the parable is about. It is a picture of the reality of how people respond to the gospel. That's the picture. And I don't just mean in a one-time response. I mean the continuation of your life, how people respond day in, day out to the gospel. And Jesus, here's the point of the parable. He's going to look at the crowd and he's going to say, listen, you need to be very careful because you need to respond appropriately to the cross, to the gospel, to the word of God. You need to make sure your response is appropriate. That it's a right response to all that God has done. You need to make sure you're responding appropriately. Okay, so he unpacks these, these four kind of soils, right? And, and soils, he's going to kind of go on to say that, that your response is dictated by your heart. And a, the soil would be a picture of your heart. So he's going to say, man, your, your heart, the condition of your heart is going to determine your response this morning. 
And so he breaks them down into these four categories. And here's the truth for us in here. Luke chapter 8 is painting a picture with you in it. It's just a matter of where do you fall. Like your face is being painted in the picture. He kind of throws these four um, categories of people out there. And we're going to kind of represent them as these chairs this morning. And so here's going to be my question to you. Out of these four chairs, where do you find yourself sitting? Where have you camped out here? What chair would represent the totality of your life? We're not talking about a one-time response. We are talking about the summation of your life, the panoramic picture. Which one of these chairs represents you? Where do you find yourself in your response to the gospel? Where do you find yourself? Okay, so let's keep going here. In verse 9, he's going to start to, to give some explanation. And he's get, going to give explanation because his disciples are having a hard time. Look at verse 9. And when his disciples ask him what this parable meant. Okay, so you've got some slow learning going on. They are not seeing the reality behind the picture. They ask him what the parable meant. Verse 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they are in parable, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The reason Jesus spoke in parables is because those that were hard-hearted, it would throw it go right over their head right and so but for those who had a tender heart toward jesus rightly responding to the gospel it would land on a good heart and they would get it okay verse 11 now the parable is this he's about to unpack it here for us give the explanation of it the seed is the word of god so he's saying this the seed is not corn It's not whatever other seed you want to throw in there. The seed is the gospel. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the truth of scriptures. That's what the seed is. Okay, he's going to go on in Luke 8, chapter 12. Look at verse 12. And then he's going to kind of start unpacking these different soils, these different chairs for us. The ones along the path, along the road, your translation might say, are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, so picture the scene here with me. Here's the, the everybody in the crowd would have instantly got the, the agriculture scene. They are instantly going to see a picture, a familiar picture of a guy that has got seed in a bag and he is going and he's going to his field and he's throwing the seed. He's scattering the seed across the field. They're all going to be aware. That's going to be a familiar picture to them. And they're going to all have a familiar picture of some of that seed not landing where it was intended to land. Some of that seed landing on the path, on a road, on a hard packed down soil they're all going to be familiar with that it's packed down from just constant usage but for those who had eyes that could see ears that were really hearing that that more than just the mechanical working of your ear but it's finding your heart for those that could really see and hear they're going to see a different picture emerge they're going to see a picture of a hard-hearted person emerge out of this parable And this is going to be chair number one, a hard heart. They're going to see this picture of a guy that the gospel is thrown at him. And rather than responding appropriately, the the gospel bounces off. And and rather than um, growing in his heart that should produce great fruit, it is food for the birds. They're all going to be real aware of that imagery. And then for those that have a sensitive heart, they see the picture, this hard-hearted man or woman. So, so let me ask you this question, just to start it off here. How are you responding to the gospel? Has it been with a hard heart? Okay, so let's clarify the gospel. And this has really been the last two months here. Um, the gospel is 
the just and gracious God of the universe. The gospel starts with God. He is just and he is gracious. And that just and gracious God looked upon hopelessly sinful people. That is who you and I are. We are under sin, Romans 3 says. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in sin. Romans 6 is going to say that we deserve death because of our sin. Eternal separation from God. That is our condition. That we are dead in our sin. Hopelessly sinful people. And this is the tension of the Bible. How will God respond to hopelessly sinful people? Dead, under sin. Deserving death because of their sin. How is he going to respond to people who are guilty? And, And this is the response. That God sent Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection. It is as if we walked into the courtroom. God has got his black robe of judgment on. He has slammed the gavel down and said, you are guilty. You are guilty. And all of a sudden, he takes his black robe of judgment off. He walks down, looks us eye to eye and says, but I have paid for sin. I've paid for it. So the question is, how are you responding? Jesus' payment for sin is not to your benefit until, and this is the end part of the gospel, until we, in faith, joyfully surrender our life. Belief is not just an awareness of God paid for sin. Belief, faith in the scriptures, is a joyful surrender. And when we do that, the benefits of the cross land on us. That's the gospel. So so let me ask you the question, how are you responding to it? Have you turned and stiff-armed the gospel? Is it bouncing off of you? Or have you responded appropriately? I mean, are you running after this thing, joyfully surrendered to this thing? How are you responding to the gospel? Um, Some of you are probably aware of the blasphemy challenge. I remember that. It's kind of lost a little bit of esteem over the last couple of years. But three or four years ago, this was like the thing. I mean, it was a a YouTube phenomenon. And and basically, it it was a thing to try to bring public mockery onto the name of Jesus. Here were the the directions to, to be a part of the blasphemy challenge. It went like this. Um, this, you can get it on the website. It says this. It's simple. You record a short message damning yourself to hell. You upload it to YouTube, and then the Rational Response Squad will send you a free copy of the God Who Wasn't There DVD. It's that easy. Here are the instructions. You may damn yourself to hell any way you like, but somewhere in the video you must say the phrase, I deny the Holy Spirit. Why? Because according to Mark 3.29, their their exodus Jesus isn't very good here. They're going to say this, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus will forgive you for just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit ever. This is the one-way road you are taking. Okay, so so that's kind of their directions, right? Now, now here's the truth for a lot of us in here. We would never publicly jump up and say, I deny, I mean, just the whole thing, right? But you know what? A lot of us with our lives scream the exact same thing. A lot of us with our lives scream the exact same thing. As we stiff arm the gospel. As we turn and walk away from it. So do you find yourself sitting here? Chair number one. The gospel has been thrown at you. But it's bouncing. You find yourself here. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. 
chair number two. And the ones on the rock, you might circle that word, on the rock, are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. You might underline that. They have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. Okay, so everyone in the crowd knows the imagery. They have all seen seed that has been scattered. It looks like good soil. I mean, it looks like where you want the seed to be. And and this isn't just um, a field with rocks in it. This is a field that's going to have rocks under the surface. It's going to have a layer of rock, maybe one, two inches deep. So so the seed, it it finds some decent soil. It starts to grow, but here's the problem. The the root never gets past the rock. It's it's a one-inch deep root. And so, so they've, they've seen the imagery, that, that root, that plant, when the sun comes up and, and the heat is turned up, it withers and it dies. But for those who have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, that they see the picture, they see the reality here, right? And, and so they're going to see this picture, this reality of a half-hearted follower of Jesus. Half-hearted. Chair number two. They're going to see this imagery of a person who they hear the gospel, they respond, and it's going to say this, enjoy they respond. I mean, they are the MVP. They, I mean, they have memorized the scripture. They are at the church. They are serving everywhere. They are doing everything. This is the all-star. They have received it with joy. They are running after it hard. And then here comes a time of testing. And they fall away, it says. Um, one, one of the wildest things has happened in the last eight years of my life. Um, Laura and I, we were about to walk out of the house one night. We opened the door, and if y'all ever had birds try to nest on your front porch, these guys were doing it. So, so we opened the front door, and by the way, it scares you to death when this happens. <coughs> I mean, you literally think the bad guy just got you, right? And so I, we opened the door, and the bird flew in the house. And we're like, great. This is, this is beautiful. So, so we grab the tennis rackets. I mean, we've got the fish nets. And listen, I can swing a racket, but I could not hit that bird. And so all of a sudden, we get this bright idea. Um, we're going to use the light to do this thing. I mean, we're going to get this bird out of this house by using light. Even sounds biblical, right? Okay, so, so here we go. Um, we've got all the, all the lights on, and, and we go with the, okay, we'll keep the front porch light on. We'll turn the living room light off. I mean, he's flying around our living room. And so uh, we do it. It works beautifully. The bird flies right to the light in the master bedroom, right? So we're like, oh, no, this has just gotten worse. So we go for, for plan number two here. So we, we get the living room lights back on. We turn the bedroom lights off. And I kid you not, it worked perfectly. He flew directly to the light in the master bathroom. So he is as far away from the front door at this point as he can get. And so, okay, so we're, we're kind of, we're back to square one here. We, we flip the bathroom light, you know, off. The bedroom light on flies right into the bedroom. I mean, we are winning the war right now. Um, we turn the bedroom light back off, living room light on. And about this time, it just dawns on me. I can hear the fan going. And about that time, the thud happens, right? So we, we turn the light on and this poor little bird, he is over in the fetal position on our little dresser of all places. That's where it knocked him to. Uh, in the fetal position, he is about to breathe his last, right? And, and in that moment, you know, God spoke to me, Rodney. Just turn the fan off, right? 
You will save. Okay, but, but seriously, I, I think that there is a picture here of what happens to many of us. We have the proverbial fan hit and it throws us into the wall and we're in the fetal position. Matthew, or Mark chapter 4, verse 17, it's going to say that this testing, it gives two words to describe what the testing is. The, the first one it says is persecution. This is suffering at the hands of ungodly people who are mad at you and persecuting you because you follow Jesus. I mean, you saw the picture of it. Persecution. What happens to you when you're persecuted? And ours is light compared to that, isn't it? I, I doubt that anybody's gotten clubbed or drop kicked in the back. Persecution. He's going to say the next part of it is tribulation. Tribulation has a little wider angle to it. It's going to encompass all the turbulence that just happens in life. So, so now we have gotten into cancer. Now we have gotten into job losses. Now we have gotten into difficult marriages. Now we have gotten into all of life that just happens to us. He's going to say this, this time of testing, right? This persecution, this tribulation that happens in all of our life in various shapes and forms. Here's what he's going to say. This is what it does. It reveals your roots. That's what these things do. That's what testing does. It reveals if your roots are legit or if they go down one inch and they stop. So, so you know, maybe, maybe we need to just change our whole view of bad things happening to us. Maybe they aren't a curse from God. Maybe it's grace from God to reveal our roots for us, right? To expose. I would much rather have them exposed now than then. So, so let me ask you the question. Are, are you half-hearted? Has something happened, difficult circumstances, that have thrown you against the wall and, and you have stopped running? I mean, you are no longer engaged in the race. You, you've stopped. I mean, does this describe you? You started with great joy. I mean, you were there. You were the all-star everything. But all of a sudden, I mean, that's a distant memory, right? I mean, do you remember those days? I mean, if it's just those days, then we might be in this chair. Now, can I just take a second to plead with you here? The Bible does not just place the emphasis on your beginning. It places an emphasis on the beginning and the continuation and the end. The, it, the whole picture. It's not just the beginning. So, so let me just ask you, have you sit down here? I mean, let me just plead with you to re-engage. If this is you, if, if it's just distant memories of a hard pursuit. And by the way, welcome to American Christianity right here. I mean, this is us. I mean, this is us. We have got, I mean, we, we are all stars until the fan hits. I mean, this is us. We have one, we are a mile wide, right? An inch deep. I mean, this is us. So let me just plead with you if this is you this morning if there is not a hard pursuit if there is something that has happened that has stifled you man this would be a beautiful morning for you to re-engage for you to jump in for you to no longer sit but for you to run the race man believe the gospel look to jesus and run after him let's keep reading verse 14 
And as for, and as for the seed that fell among the thorns, you might circle that word thorns, they are those who hear. They hear the gospel. But as they go on their way are choked by cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. So, okay, you've got the agriculture scene. It's back, right? You've got the scene that would be familiar to everybody in the house. You've got the scene of scattering the seed. Some seed falls here. And at the same time, here come thorns. And the thorns come in and they start to choke out the, the, the plant. They start to choke out the, the good crop. They start to choke it out. So it brings no fruit to maturity. They would all have seen that. But for those with eyes that can see, they see a different picture. They start to see this picture of an overcrowded heart. They start to see this picture of a man or woman who has responded to the gospel. They are all in, enjoyed. They are running after it. But here's the problem. There are thorns in their life that suck all the nourishment of Jesus out of them. Um, when I was a senior, I had a, my junior year in high school, I'd won a state championship in wrestling. So I'm back for the senior year. Life was good. It was kind of the beginning of the wrestling season. And we're going to a tournament that was, I mean, it was a bad tournament. There's, there's not going to be good teams at this tournament. And so my coach, he, he talks me into wrestling two or three weight classes up. And so I'm like, yeah, let's do it. It kind of makes a spot for some other guys. And so what we get there, it's Saturday morning, and it starts at like 8 a.m. I was asleep in the bleachers when I heard my name called. That's typically not a good thing, right? So I hear my name called. I'm like, oh, dang, get the headgear on, get... I get ready to go, jump out there. In the first 30 seconds, this guy was terrible, terrible. He threw me in a headlock. And so I, I get out of it, like I, I'm out, like I'm not, I'm not going to get pinned in wrestling terms here. And, uh, but he still has the headlock and it's in this really weird position. And I kid you not, I was choked out. Like I was done. The referee couldn't see it. Okay, and so... It, it's typically not legal, by the way. And so the referee couldn't see it, though. And so he's looking, but he can't see. And if you've ever been choked, you'll know this. You can't tell him that you're getting choked, right? And so I'm about to die in here. The referee can't see it. I can't stop it. And I literally kind of have that moment of, this could be the way I go, right? I mean, this could be it. And so I, I think it just gives this imagery of where a lot of us are in this room. We have been thrown in a headlock by some thorns and they are choking us to death. And and it's going to give some clarification on what these thorns are. Look look at 814 there. The cares of this life. You, You know what a thorn is? It is anything you value more than the cause of God. Maybe I could say it this way. What do you care most about in life? What do you care most about? What gets most of your thoughts? Family, kids, husbands, wives, jobs. All of those are good things, but they're not an ultimate thing. And if that is your ultimate thing, you've got a thorn. And you know what's so strange? Is that seems so kind of a radical way to look at life, but that is a biblical way to look at life. That is it. A thorn is any competing master. A thorn is any competing care. Even good things. If it is ultimate, it has become a thorn. 
Until we can say with Paul in Philippians 1.20 that this is what I want courage for. This is what I need help for. That I would exalt the name of Christ. That's the care. The cause of God. The mission of God. That is the ultimate care. Everything else serves that care. Until we're there, we've got thorns. Choking our spirituality. He's going to say cares. He's going to go on to say riches. Um, Mark is going to say the deceitfulness of riches. Do you think it's possible that you might be deceived by your riches? You don't have to be the richest of us in here to be deceived by them. And do you think it's possible that your heart could buy into the deceitful promises, the empty promises that riches make? And listen, I I don't want to camp out here because I I think there's a, a general assumption that God just wants your money. And that's not what God wants. He wants your heart. He already owns your money. And so, do you think your heart might have bought into these empty promises? I hold your satisfaction. Do you think it could have bought into this promise of spend your life for me and and this is where your options will be? I'm just saying, do you think your heart could have bought into it? Because I think most of our hearts have in some way, shape, or form. The deceitfulness of riches. Is it a competing master? He gives this last one, the pleasures of life. I mean, something I pray for us often is that we would not think or believe this is our home. Isn't that easy to do? Isn't it easy to act like this is it? This is not our home. Heaven is. And we're foolish if we're accumulating things, if we're living in such a way that we would believe that we would show that this is it i want to give just one just one warning shot here across the bow i think it's easy for us to love silly things games easy for us to love silly things for me to love silly things pleasures of this life any inferior thing that we are living for competing against jesus is a thorn welcome to american christianity sitting right here let me just ask you the question are there competing loyalties do you have things in your heart that are choking your spirituality your pursuit of jesus cares riches pleasures of this life they're not bad things none of those things are bad they are good things but listen to me most of us in this room you're The thing that's going to really wreck our life is typically in this room is not going to be blatant sin. It's going to be a million good things that we love way too much. A care of this world, riches, pleasure. Have you sit down and allowed the thorns of life to choke it? I mean, is this you? Is this where you find yourself? Okay, now now here's the thing. When everybody reads this parable, here's one of the questions that always gets asked. Are chair number one, two, three, are they saved, not saved? What's the deal? Okay, when you read the parable, chair number one is obviously not saved. If we have never responded appropriately to the gospel first time, if we've got a hard heart to it, we're we're not saved. Chair two and three, this is where all the debate is, right? And so can you kind of have this, I'm in, but then I fall away? Can you kind of have this, um, I'm in, but I got choked out, no fruit to maturity? Can you do that and be saved? And here's the thing. The point of the parable is not salvation. 
That is not the point. Here's the point of the parable. Jesus leaves it really ambiguous. And here's what he's saying. He is saying that chair two and three, if we find ourselves here this morning, it's not a salvation issue. Here's the problem with it. It's we are falling tragically short of what God would want for us, of what he would hope for us, of what he has designed us to live for. We are falling way short if we are half-hearted or overcrowded. We are falling way short of the life God has intended for us. We are wasting our life if we're here. We are living in such a way that we are not going to mark eternity if we're here. We're living in such a way that we believe this is it if we're living here. We are living in such a way that we really believe that this earth holds our promise. So let me ask you, is this you? Is this you? Jim Elliott, one of my favorite stories, he was a missionary to um, Ecuador. He goes in with five other men and their families to the Aka Indians. Some of you know the story well. They make initial contact and they are instantly killed, all five men. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, they go back with the news to her, right? They go back and say, listen, Elizabeth, your wife was killed by the Indians today. Weighty moment, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's got some serious weight to it. Your husband was killed today. She looks back and says, no, he wasn't. No. They say, yes, Elizabeth, your, your husband was killed today. No, he wasn't. Elizabeth, your, you, you need to get, your husband died today. She looks back and says, no, he didn't. He died when he was 16 years old, knelt down beside his bed and said, God, waste my life on you. May that be us. Can I just say that we need daddies who that's happened? We need teenagers where that has happened. We need moms where that has happened. We need single guys where that has happened. Where we have had this moment of, God, waste my life on you. Not on this world, on you. So do you find yourself here? At the last second, the referee saw I was getting choked to death. He stops the match. I go on to win. Everything worked out okay. But, but can I, I, mean, I just want to encourage you before it's too late to stop the match. And may we make the discovery this morning that Jesus is worth everything. May we make that discovery that this is not where you want to sit. Last year and then we're done. 15. As for that in the good soil, chair number four, they are those who hearing the word, they hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and they bear fruit with patience. The imagery is clear to everybody there. They've all seen good seed thrown in good soil. It produces a crop. They're sitting in chair number four. We'll call it the good soil. Heart that is tender toward Jesus. Heart that, that hears the gospel and is a, as a lifelong pursuit on track, moving toward pursuing Jesus. He's not just a good teacher. He is the treasure here. The good soil. And look, look at the words there. You, you've got honest and good heart. That they are repentant. They are right before God. There's not hidden sin in their life. There's not things they're trying to cover up. Honest and good heart. They are right before God. That's chair number four. It goes on to, to say, keep reading there. They're bearing fruit. Right? And, and so honest and good heart, they are bearing fruit in life. There is evidence in their life that they love Jesus, that they're, that they're moving towards you. There's evidence of that. There's fruit in it. 
Is there fruit in your life? Is there visible evidence that I love Jesus? Visible evidence. And look what it goes on to say. Honest and good heart bear fruit and they hold fast to the word. They hold fast. When testing, persecution, tribulation comes, they hold fast to it. Is that you? Are you holding fast? Listen, the gospel produces a lifelong change of heart and mind. Isn't that a beautifully ugly picture of what we saw on the screen? Literally, a guy's getting beat to death with a club and he is holding fast to the word. He is holding fast to the gospel. That is chair number four. Regardless of what comes, regardless of what life has, we hold fast to the word. We bear fruit with an honest and good heart. Does this chair describe you? Is this how you are responding to the gospel? Let's pray. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who um, gave an illustration one time of kind of this idea of American Christianity. And he said, it's like a little boy in England selling apple pies on the street. And he's hollering, hot apple pies, hot apple pies. A man comes by and buys one and eats it and finds it really cold. Looks back at the boy and says, Why are you calling it hot apple pies? They're not hot. And the boy's response is, I don't know. That's just the name that they're called. And I I just wonder how many of us are Christians. Not because we're following Jesus, but because that's just the name culture calls us. So let let me just ask you the question again, and and we'll wrap it up this morning. Are you responding appropriately to the word? Where are you sitting this morning? Hard heart? Stiff arming the gospel? And the half-hearted? That there was a time that it sprang up with joy, but you've abandoned it? You sit down, you're not in the race? Are you in the overcrowded chair? And, and I, I think this is where most of us probably fight against more than any other. There's just so many competing loyalties. Well, what's your number one care in life? Number one care. Anything other than the cause of God and we've got a thorn. Or do you find yourself in the good soil? And do you find yourself with a heart that is honest before God, repentant before God? If there is known sin in your life this morning, to be in chair four means that we are actively engaged in the battle, that we are confessing, that we are resolving to to run against it and to fight against it. Holding fast to the word. We don't let go. We hold fast to the word. And we bear fruit. And where do you find yourself this morning? As we sing a last song, I'm, I'm going to invite you. We'll just kind of open up the fronts here. That, that if you need to just come and repent, confess, as we sing this last song, you're, you're more than welcome to come do that. 
This was really convicting for me personally this week. And so if the weight of of some of these words have hit your heart and you need to respond appropriately to that, this is the curse of our age that we come into a church like this and we immediately walk out of these doors and the first thing on our